makes sense to you. So we're going to begin with Bible study and end up with prayer because I think tonight's Bible study will help us in a prayer time. I trust you've had a good week so far. Uh, if you're like me, you're enjoying the cooler weather. Uh, just, just love it. Um, and we're looking forward to what God is going to do in our hearts tonight. It's been a great week. Uh, we praise the Lord for that. I had a great Sunday. And um, we're just excited about God's goodness and blessings. We'll talk more about prayer requests and those things later on. But let's go ahead and open our Bibles if we can tonight to Nehemiah chapter 9. I don't have a learner's guide for you tonight, so um, you pay close attention. Um, I know some of you come just for the learner's guide, but uh, you don't have one tonight. We'd like to switch things up. It might be a rearranged room. It might be you don't get a learner's guide. You might get a feather sometime when you come. You never know uh, what you're going to get or not get. As we get started tonight, we're going to go ahead and have a word of prayer. And uh, Danielle, pass around the pens if you need um, something to write on. And uh, you're finding Nehemiah chapter 9. And we'll go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time tonight. I'm sure some more will come in in a few minutes. And uh, then we'll get into the Bible study tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blessings in our life. Thank you for the blessing of this evening, uh, how it warms our hearts to see so many families here at church and uh, young people learning your word and being challenged, Lord, to be missionaries and being challenged to live for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for our teenagers and thank you for that group growing. I pray your continued hand of blessing upon them and their leaders. Father, I thank you for this group, and I pray that you'll bless us tonight and help us and challenge us from your word. We thank you for those who are working behind the scenes, our meal teams and others, Lord, that you'll just bless them as they labor even now. And I pray that you'll just use us tonight to honor and glorify you. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. I want to write a quote up on the board, and we're going to talk about it for a little bit. Take a moment and read that. Hopefully you can read it. God's plan will continue on God's schedule. God's plan will continue on God's schedule. Now, first of all, do you agree or do you disagree with Mr. Tozer's statement? Most everybody's nodding their head in the affirmative. All right. Why do you agree with Tozer's statement that God's plan will continue on God's schedule? He's in all right. He's in control. Good. He's never wrong. He's never wrong. Yeah. You're absolutely right. God is sovereign in control. Now, understanding that truth, what does this mean to us as believers? What does that mean to us as Christians? To know that God's plan will continue on God's schedule. What does that mean to you tonight as a Christ follower? To be patient. Okay, be patient. Trust Him. But as he teaches us to be patient and to wait. Yeah, those are words we might talk about or experience, right? Trust, wait, and patience. Uh, those are challenges. Okay, good. What else? 
Yeah, yeah. Watching his plan unfold. It builds our faith. Well, what does this mean to the unbeliever? God's plan will continue on God's schedule. What does that mean to the lost person? It doesn't mean anything because they don't believe. They don't believe. Okay. And they want everything to happen the way they think it's going to happen. They predict what's going to happen and when. Okay. All right, I follow your line of thinking. What else? What do you think the wars that we have and that kind of stuff is part of God's plan? We know everything that's happening is, is, is through God's submissive will. Uh, God doesn't always directly cause everything, but he allows everything. Uh, what I'm aiming at is the sad reality is that God's plan will continue on God's schedule. The Bible says that this appointment of man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. So for the unbeliever, this means that if the unbeliever does not come to Christ and does not come to faith in Christ... They're going to spend eternity where? In hell. Whether they like it or not, whether they thought there was a God or not, God's plan will continue on God's schedule. It means one thing to us as believers. We know that we're victorious. We know that Christ is going to reign supreme. We read the back of the book and we know that uh, he wins, we win. We know he's going to set up his eternal kingdom, his millennial kingdom, into his eternal kingdom. Now here's the big question tonight, thinking about it as a Christian. Is this truth encouraging or discouraging? Everybody doesn't want to answer it. Does that encourage you or does it discourage you? It encourages you. We've got human nature involved here, so we got we think we can live life one way and he's got a plan for us another way. Yeah. We've got to adjust to his plan. Exactly. Most of the time we want God to adjust to our plan. We want to set everything up and say, Lord, bless my plans. But God doesn't function that way, does he? God wants us to come and say, Lord, what is your plan for my life? And to get in line with his plan. Good. All right, anybody else? That's encouraging. Most feel encouraged about that tonight. So in the midst of the wars that Felix talks about, talked about, the mix of our, in the mix of our economic woes, in the mix of our troubles in America, in the mix of the troubles that you might have personally in your family, does it encourage you to know that God's plan will continue on God's schedule? Does that encourage you? We have to remember that we see things on a very limited basis. And we even see things personally and even as a church and at times on a very limited basis. Our world is so much larger than us. And we have to look at the big picture. Um, as a pastor here, people have different ministries they labor in. And people get very passionate about their ministry. When I say their ministry, the ministry they're laboring in. And that excites me to know they're passionate about it. But sometimes the person gets tunnel vision. And what happens is they are concerned about their ministry. And they're concerned about their focus and their needs and their desires. But we have to step back and say, okay, let's look at the totality of the church. Let's look at the totality of the ministry. What part does that play within the ministry itself? Um, I've mentioned before uh, your calling may not be somebody else's calling. Sometimes people get frustrated because maybe they're not, people aren't serving in their area of, of uh, ministry or whatever. But God has placed different gifts in us. And so we know that God's plan will continue on God's schedule. God sees the big picture. God has the overall uh, plan in mind. But it's amazing, though, that in that big picture, 
we find us. Now, that's pretty awesome. To see God's picture of redemption of mankind and the establishment of Christ's kingdom, God uses us. It's often been said, we'll erase Mr. Tozier here. As we start thinking about tonight, it's often been said that history is his story. You've probably heard that before. History is his story. God is in control. God is sovereign. God is the ruler of the universe. Now, when we think about God's sovereignty and we come to Nehemiah chapter 9, I want you to remember how he broke this book up. Two main divisions. I'm curious... I've mentioned these several times, and I didn't give you a worksheet tonight. So, uh-oh. Does anybody remember what the two main divisions were? So put a one and a two. And I'll go ahead and give you the chapters. Chapters one through six, and chapters seven through 13. Right? Am I right? I'm asking you. Everybody say, yeah, you're right. Now, 1 through 6, 7 through 13. Do you remember what the two divisions were? We've studied through eight chapters now. Okay, I'll give you a little hint. They both start with R. Rodney, no, I'm kidding. Uh, rebuilding the wall. Good. See what happens when you sit in the front row, people? <laughs> all right, rebuilding the wall. We studied all about that. What was the second point? You remember? Reviving. Reviving the people. And that's what we're studying about right now. Reviving the people. Good job. You've been, y'all have been cooking, so you, you get a you get reprieved then. Yeah, you get excused, and uh, now you know. So next week you can't you can't you don't have an excuse next week, Judy. <laughs> well, here in chapter nine, where do we have? Where are we at? Reviving the people, right? And we started last week looking in particular at chapter eight. Now, if you weren't here last week, if you were on the meal team or you weren't here last week, chapter eight's all about the word of God. And about the people hearing and the preaching of the word of God. And they were exposed. Remember last week we talked about they were exposed for hours. They stood and listened to God's word. And then at the end of that chapter, they were celebrating what's called the, the, um, the festival or uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Remember that? They built those little booths like according to the law told them to remember uh, their ancestors living out and remember God's faithfulness. And at the end of chapter 8, it was a time of rejoicing. They were rejoicing in God's goodness, rejoicing in the grace of God. But really, as Boyce pointed out as I was studying uh, even this past week, there are three parts to revival. At least the revival we find here. I need to, like those big, um, big like, the, like the kids have, just, just slide a thing across and erase the board. <laughs> or an Etch-a-Sketch, we can just shake it. But anyway, three parts here as we think about the revival. In chapter 8, which we studied last week, we have the preaching and the hearing of the Word. Now, did they have the whole Bible like we have? No. No. They had a portion of God's Word. Uh, We're we're blessed to have the completed canon of Scripture. And then in chapter 9, where we are tonight, we're going to look at the fact that there was sorrow 
uh, over their sin and repentance. And then in chapter 10, which we'll look at later on, God willing, we're going to see there's a change of life. Now, revival, this is what revival is. It includes the preaching and hearing of the word. And as the word is preached and taught and you're experiencing the word, conviction comes and you realize that you're a sinner. There's sorrow over sin. There's repentance over the sin. And, of course, that repentance naturally leads, what? To a change of life. Repent, repent means to turn, to do a 180. It's a change of mind, which leads to a change of behavior, change of direction. And this is what we're going to find here. We've studied chapter 8, tonight's chapter 9, sorrow over sin and repentance, and then chapter 10, a change of life. Now, this is still what we need today. Uh, we live in a world where there's great uh, marketing and promotion and glamour and lights and everything. And that has come into the church quite a bit. And uh, there's all kinds of entertainment going on, sad to say. But really we need to get back to the basics, which is God's word and preaching and prayer and repentance and the change of life and changes of heart. So here they are uh, in chapter 8, if you remember, at one point, they were beginning to get sorry and sorrowing over their sin. Let's go back and look in chapter 8 and bring us up to speed tonight. Look at chapter 8, verse 9. Here's what the Bible says. They just finished reading the law. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, to all, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. Notice this next part. For all the people wept when? When they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then we have them saying, listen, don't get sorry over your sin right now. This is a time of rejoicing. Now, it may seem a little bit odd, but we'll notice they move right into the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. They're celebrating. But then we come to chapter 9. Notice what it says at the beginning of chapter 9. Now, on the 24th day of this month, same month, the children of Israel were assembled. Now, notice how they were assembled. With fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. In other words, it is now time to sorrow. It is now time to mourn. It is now time to repent. It is now time to experience that. And as I read this, as I look at the preaching and hearing God's word and the joy, and then I see there's a time of sorrow, I couldn't help but think of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Put your finger there in Nehemiah. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Just keep on going. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I wanted to read those verses to you again. A well-known passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. As we think about the timing, and here in Nehemiah, in chapter 8, Nehemiah and Ezra and them said, listen, it's not the time to mourn and be sorrowful. You rejoice over God's grace, rejoice over God's forgiveness, but as they're exposed to God's word, when the Feast of Tabernacles is over, it is now time to mourn. It is now time to weep. It is now time to sorrow. Look back at chapter 9 again, and let's read the first three verses. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting. Now, what's fasting? That's where you get to drive through and try to get your food fast, right? That's fasting. Yeah, giving up something, particularly here, be giving up food and, and, and so forth. They were in sackcloth with dust on their heads. There's a picture, of course, of humility and humbling themselves and so forth. Verse 2. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. So we have a long time here again. I mean, we talked about last time how long their services were. You know, we're like, it's 12.05. And, and they're going for hours and hours and hours standing, hearing God's word. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have nurseries right then, right? And it says for a fourth of the day they did that. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Their days here were consumed with God. Remember, we already repaired the walls. The walls are up. It's time to revive the people. It's time for God to work in the people's hearts and lives. Now listen, most of the times when we're in church, we want to feel good. We want to feel great. We want a nice little sermonette preached by a preacher net on something he found on the internet. I mean, when we come to God's house, we want to have fun and we want to feel good. But listen, when you come to God's house... And God's man takes God's word and preaches God's message. There are going to be times when we're uncomfortable. There are going to be times when we're challenged. There are going to be times when we're convicted. There are going to be times where our, as we used to say growing up, our sores are are toes. Our toes are sore, right? There are going to be times where God's word is going to confront us and say, listen, God the Holy Spirit is going to take his word and say, listen, you are not right in this area. No, not that you're not saved, but there's an area in your life that is not right. Now, thank God we don't have to stay there. We may grow sorrowful and mourn and weep over our sin. We may come in that way. Listen, we can go out rejoicing. Why? Because there's forgiveness. There's pardon. There's cleansing. But first, we must be confronted with our sin. And we live in a day where there's political correctness and we need to just don't say anything and uh, don't don't judge anybody. And listen, God's word is the authority. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. We're getting ready to preach a, a sermon series on the family beginning Sunday. I guarantee you what we're going to preach and what we're going to learn is not politically correct. But here's the key. It's biblically correct. And that's the key. We want to be Bible believing Christians. Listen, we went to a doctor and we had a raging cancer in our body, a horrible disease. And all he says is, look, you look great. You've lost a lot of weight. Man, I like your hairdo. you got it fixed up nice. What do you do if your skin is so soft and smooth? And then he says, okay, you're done. We'll see you in six months. Is he being kind? Is he being loving? 
Is he helping you? No, he, we have to be told the truth. He needs to say, listen, you have a raging cancer in your body. We must do thus and this and so forth in order to preserve your life. And so when we come to God's word, we don't come just to feel good. And yes, there are times we're comforted and there are times we rejoice to feel good. But many times we come and we realize, listen, we fall short there. Let's cry out to God for mercy. So let's pick it up here and pick up our reading and read the rest of it. And what we're going to have here is a really long prayer. I want you to keep your eyes open. A really long prayer. That's something else we don't do very long, right? You know, we pray for a minute and we're done. But let's look at their prayer. Let's begin at verse 4. Anybody want to volunteer to read those names? Nobody ever jumps up for that. Let's try them. Then Jeshua, Bani, Cadmil, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenina uh, stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shemaniah, and Pethathiah said. Amen. We're through that, right? <laughs> Here's what they said. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Now, notice what they say here. You alone. I'm going to go slowly through this, and I want you to soak it in. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. They go all the way back to the very beginning. They say you're the creator. You're the sustainer. You're the one who's created everything. Now they're moving into Jewish history at verse seven. Notice what it says. You are the Lord God. Who chose Abram. We know him better by what name? Abraham. You are the Lord God who chose Abram. And brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. And made a covenant with him. To give the land of the Canaanites. The Hittites. The Amorites. The Perizzites. The Jebusites. And the Gergeshites. To give it to his descendants. You have performed your words. For you are righteous. And by the way. He will ultimately fulfill that covenant. He will. They will get the land. Verse 9. Notice what we're moving on in Jewish history. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. Remember, the, we went through the life of Joseph. And you, you turn the page or you look the next around the corner. And it says, and there arose one and knew not Joseph. And the people of Israel are afflicted. And they're in bondage there. For you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You show signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst on the sea on dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. Can you kind of follow along in the Jewish history here? Verse 13, you came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Now watch verse 16. But they, 
But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, notice this, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Now, notice we're just rock, rock, walking right along with the children of Israel through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, on Mount Sinai, the whole way here. Now, notice verse 21. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Anybody here still wearing something you wore 40 years ago? I passed a fellow once who used to wear stuff he wore. He'd come in and say, These are what, how old he used to say, Danielle? Yes, he had shoes that were 40 years old. He had shoes much older than I was. Still in good shape. Still fine. I should have said the lost in place. What verse am I at, y'all? 21. Their feet did not swell. Moreover, you give them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sion, the land of the king of Heshbon, the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. And gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, verse 26, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs, killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. They were great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And at the time of their trouble, when they cried that you heard from heaven and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. You see what's happening here? God is faithful to people rebel. God is faithful to people rebel. God is faithful to people rebel over and over and over again. Look at verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. 
our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all, and all your people for, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt how faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are servants today and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you've set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant, write it. Our leaders, our Levites and our priests seal it. Do you see we talked about what? Chapter nine is about sorrow for sin, repentance, confession. And I hope you notice there in that prayer, it's God, you are faithful. God, you are just. God, you are right. We're wrong. Our fathers are wrong. We've done wrong. I like what Rearsby wrote about this. Listen to what he said. It's a beautiful summary of God's ministry to Israel. He brought them out, verse 7, brought them through, verse 11, and brought them in, verse 23, and saved them from their enemies, verse 27. Read that again. He brought them out, verse 7, brought them through, verse 11, brought them in, verse 23, and saved them from their enemies, verse 27. But what a record of Israel's sins. However, God invites his people to make new beginnings and let him bury the past. God is so faithful to Israel and they're so unfaithful to him. Does that sound familiar to you? How many times is it true in our hearts and lives? How many times is it true in our church? God is so faithful to us, our families, our lives, our ministry, our church, our, our nation. And yet we're so unfaithful to him. As I read this passage, beloved, three lessons popped out I want to share with you tonight. I want to put these up on the board for you. As I thought through this, I think lesson number one that really came to mind never forget where you came from. Never forget where you came from. They go all the way back to the beginning. And the creation. And then as a nation, as a people, the chosen people of God, they begin with Abraham. And they walk right through the history. In this prayer, they walk right through the history of God's dealings with his people. Now, just as the church of Israel can look back on their lives and, and look at where they came from, as believers, we can do the very same thing. Think about your life before you came to Jesus Christ. Think about your life before someone shared Christ with you and you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior. Think about your sin. Think about your lack of peace. Uh, think about the fear and dread that you had. Think about how you lived and for who and for what you lived. Never forget where you came from. In other words, never forget where you were when Christ found you and saved you. Listen, every one of us 
no matter if we were saved very young or we were saved later in life, whether we were wicked, heinous, notorious sinners, or we were good church people who were just lost, if you will. We're all still sinners. We were all lost. We're all condemned. We were all destined to spend an eternity in hell. Never forget where you came from. Think back to your life, what it was like before Christ. You know, sometimes we do forget. Now, we don't live there. We don't dwell there, but we remember what life was like before we came to Christ. We said what? History is his story. Think about your history. Think about your story of your life. Think about how God worked in your life. The second lesson, I think, is this. Never forget who got you here. Now, I trust your life is not the same it was as when before you came to Christ. Obviously, it can't be if you're truly a child of God. Now, all of us got a ways to go. None of us have arrived. None of us can say, well, we're done with the Christian life. We've arrived. We've reached. We're always growing. We're always being stretched. It's been said, what? If you're not growing towards the Lord, you're growing away from the Lord. Uh, if we're not getting closer to him, you're getting further away from him. And if we're far away from God tonight, you know whose fault it was? Or it is? It's our fault. Like the husband that, and the wife ride along in the pickup truck. And they're going along there and he's driving. And, and she says, you know, we used to sit right, right beside each other in the pickup truck. And I was right in the middle. And you could barely get a piece of paper between us, you know. And he said, well, I didn't move. You know, he's sitting there driving. <laughs> That's the same way it is with us. If we're far from God... We're the ones that move. God is faithful. God is perfect. Never forget who got you here. Wherever you are in your life, it's God's faithfulness in your life that you're here tonight. Listen, the fact that we're breathing, the fact that we're alive, man, that's an awesome blessing. There are many who cannot come to Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study. There are many who cannot come to church anymore. There are many who cannot even get out of their chair or their hospital bed or whatever. And as God has, has blessed you and as God has brought you to this point, remember, remember who got you here. And I think the third thing that really popped out to me never forget who, who gets the credit or who deserves the credit. Who deserves the credit for us being here tonight? God. Is it warm enough? I'll turn on the fan here in a minute, too. Never forget who deserves the credit. Now, none of, us, none of us have a right to boast, do we? The children of Israel here in this prayer, they were not boasting about their goodness, were they? They were crying out saying, listen, we messed up, we sinned, we rebelled. God is faithful. God is the one that deserves all the honor and glory. If there's anything good in our lives that God has allowed to happen in our lives, he deserves all the praise and glory. It's kind of like when you're walking along and you're, I remember reading a story about a man walking along and there's a turtle sitting up on a fence post. Now, there's several things you've got to know about a turtle and a fence post. Number one, he didn't get there by himself. Somebody put him there. 
Now, I guess they can get down pretty quick. It just goes walking off the edge. But listen, if God has blessed your life and God has put you in a strategic place or God is using your life, think about it this way. You're a turtle on the fence post. God has brought you to that point. He deserves all the honor, all the glory, all the praise, all the adoration. We have no room to boast. And so as I look at this passage and we think about sorrow and repentance and history and we're calling this study, don't forget Don't answer out loud, but in your own heart and life tonight, in your own mind, are you still close to God tonight? When you first got saved, ever how far back that is, remember how excited you were? Remember how on fire you were? Remember you didn't care who knew about it? You wanted to tell everybody about it? Are you still there? You see what happens to most Christians is we kind of grow cold and the fire kind of goes out a little bit and things become monotonous and routine and yeah, we go to church and yeah, we're involved in a Sunday school class and yeah, we may share our faith on a rare occasion. But we're not where we used to be. And sad to say, we're not better off. Are you close to God tonight? Are you walking with Him as the song says and... And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Are you enjoying that time with him? Maybe you're here tonight and you need to repent. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to cry out in sorrow and repentance and say, God, forgive me. God, you've been so faithful to me, but I've been so unfaithful to you. I think about David's prayer. You know, David was a man of God. Man after God's own heart. But David messed up. I mean, he royally messed up. And he committed adultery, and then he committed murder. He tries to cover his steps. He lives in misery for a long time. Nathan the prophet comes in, tells him the story, and he points his bony finger and says, Thou art the man. David repents. Now, David's family is never again the same. I mean, his family is a wreck. But you remember when he, when he cries out to God, I think it's in Psalm 51. He's crying out to God in Psalm 51. And he says these words, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. What do you think about that for a moment? When we sin as believers, do we lose our salvation? No. If we're truly born again, we're eternally secure. The Bible says that we're in Christ's hands. He has us. No man can pluck him out, uh, pluck us out of his hand. But listen, when we sin and we live in sin for a while and God the Holy Spirit begins to work, and by the way, If you can sin, and I mean keep on sinning and keep on sinning and keep on sinning, and it does not bother you, and you don't get under conviction, and you could just go on about your life, you're probably not saved. I'm just going to be blunt with you. Because God will not leave us in our sin. God, the Holy Spirit, will convict us of our sin and say, hey, you're wrong. He'll blow the whistle and says, that's wrong. And if we resist him, what happens? What happens in our life? You know, we all sin. What happens when you sin and you start resisting God's the Holy Spirit? You get miserable, don't you? That conviction comes in. You don't want to look people in the eye. Uh, you don't want to stand and teach the Sunday school lesson. You don't want to, you know. What's missing? The joy. The joy. David prays, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Is your salvation joyful tonight? Is your Christian life joyful tonight? If it's not... Could it be because you're allowing some sin, some hindrance? 
Maybe you're living in sin. Maybe you're doing that. And God, the Holy Spirit's working on your heart and your life. And you keep resisting, resisting, resisting. And you're miserable. Listen, David was miserable. He thought he got away with his sin, but he was miserable. You read in there sometime about all that he went through. The joy of our salvation. We can't live in sin. Now, I wonder tonight, how about you? Do you remember where you came from? Do you remember what life was like before you came to Christ? I remember. I was a young man. I got saved around the age of nine. I remember being in conviction, being scared, knowing if I die, I'm going to hell. I remember that. No peace. Never forget who got you here. God has placed you here. God has brought you along this far. His faithfulness. Never forget who deserves or gets the credit. Not us. God. We are who we are tonight because of the grace of God. The grace of God. Before we get into our prayer time tonight, our formal prayer time where we're going to give prayer requests, I want to give just a few moments for us to personally pray to the Lord where we are. And maybe God the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart tonight. Just as we've read this long confession and prayer from Nehemiah chapter 9, maybe you need to confess tonight. Maybe you need to come to him and, and ask for cleansing and, and ask for uh, his work in your life and, and move from that place of maybe misery even tonight to that place of joy. Because revival is what? It's being exposed to the preaching of God's word. Then it's being sorry, uh, sorry over your sin and repenting. And then it's what? That third thing was a change of life. We're not the same. I hope it's your goal every time you come to church, or one of your goals every time you come, to leave differently than when you got here. We should be closer to the Lord. We should be challenged. We should be encouraged. We should be convicted. We should be ready to go out and serve Him. So let's just take a moment or two, and right where you are, we're going to just have a time of prayer, and then I'll close in prayer, and then we'll open up for some testimonies and times of praising tonight.